0: I'll be home in the morning. Where are you going? I'm staying over at Cindy's oh. tonight. The snow. The fire. The papers call him the grabber.
1: I wish you wouldn't call him that. You don't actually believe that story, do you? Because he can't hear you, and he doesn't really take <laughs> kids that safe.
0: <day>. Oh, <laughs> you goof. Well, isn't that just peachy, King? You need some help? <laughs> you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Would you hand me my hat? Yes, sir. I am a part-time magician. Are those black balloons enough? Would you like to see a magic trick?
2: I have an announcement to make. One of our students,
0: Finney Blake, was abducted. What if I could help the police find Finney? Since I was a kid. I'll
1: scream. I'll scratch your face. This face. Daddy, I had a dream about it. What happened
0: in your dream?
1: He was taken.
0: By a man with black balloons? Yes. We never released those details. You know all I
2: mean. You're getting out of here. Please,
1: please let the dreams be real. See the wall in front of you? I tore a long cable loose from down there.
0: There's a combination lock on the inside of the
1: storm door. What's the combination? I carved it in the wall. Hang hey, on, the phone! Yeah! The tree, the door, the gate, I've never seen it before, except in my dreams. You don't have much time.
0: You're going to use a weapon. You raise the phone,
1: step back,
2: and sleep. Look what you made me do. Please hurry. You remember what I told you? Someday I should stand up for myself. Someday is
0: today, Finn.
2: Everybody and Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What is up, Venom? Greetings
1: and salutations, kidnappers. Ah, I'm doing pretty well. Mike, how the hell are you doing?
2: Doing well in the midst of a three-day recording spree, which for me, at least it's it's been a while since I've done... Uh, that that many days in a row. I know three doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're managing it around like family and life and stuff, it, it can get hectic. Not so much for the recording, but moving everything else around. But uh sure, sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. And joining us as always as well, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you?
0: Uh, not bad. Just uh, laughing at your puny uh, recording schedule. I had five over a three-day period. So. <laughs> yeah.
1: Three over a, a weekend is like a normal weekend for me. Yeah,
0: yeah. I had five. Of, I had five one day over a three day period. So good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, are... was, it was it was fun, but uh, yeah, that for, that uh, third day I was running on fumes for the last show. <laughs> Especially since um, when we did it, I had to uh, actually leave a recording early to hop onto that one. So it was uh, literally back to back the last two so yeah that that was a that was a fun time uh but uh, yeah
2: other than that uh not too bad yeah like for me it's it's not even the recording it's more the fact that i get very like uh adhd about having like uh shows kind of stack up on each other that i have to like do the the post stuff to and like once i have more than one or two sitting there i'm like uh i start get i start freaking out even though it's not even that big of a deal but i like to be like the oh i record one it's finished it's uploaded now i'll record another one but when you record you know multiple days in a row there's really no way to avoid it but uh yeah it, it, that you it used to be more normal for me years ago but anyways so This episode, we are covering a movie that just released in theaters. It should be no surprise because we did announce it at the end of the last episode, and that movie is The Black Phone, rated R, hour and 43 minutes. So this movie is actually supposed to be released originally earlier this year. It got pushed back. I'm not sure why. Maybe they just decided, hey, the summer is a better time to put it out there. Um, I don't remember reading any official explanation. But, hey, at least it got a re-release date because Orphan Prequel, anyone, is still in limbo as far as I can tell with no update. It, it's like it
0: vanished.
2: I mean, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm still not completely sure that that was not just a fan wishful thinking thing. I I, I still don't believe that movie actually ever got done. That was just, uh, you know, wishful thinking and that we're hoping that there's a sequel to it.
2: (laughs) We're just being lied to by the
0: internet. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, really. Okay, so Black Phone... Synopsis off IMDb: After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killers. I probably shouldn't read that last part just in case, because I, I think. Yeah, it's a little.
1: Yeah, definitely not.
2: Yeah, I mean the phone itself is in the title, so I don't think that's <laughs> too much of a surprise. But anyways, so. Uh, general thoughts. We will start out with. So I will kick it over to Venom. What did you think of, of the black or yeah the black film?
1: <laughs> oh man, um, how can I put this? I fucking love this movie. I absolutely adored this film. Now, mind you, this is a bloodless horror film. There, there is like like the bloodiest scene in this whole movie is a Mexican kid beating up a bully. That's like the most blood you're gonna get in this movie. But it works for me in so many ways. Now, I I could be biased because I am a Scott Derrickson fan. I love Sinister. I love Exorcism of of Emily Rose, uh, Two, really two of my all-time favorite horror films, you know, top 100 maybe. And this one, and I think this one is even better. I actually like this better than Sinister. I I just, not nearly as quote-unquote scary or creepy, not nearly the amount of jump scares, but for the, for my money, everything in this movie was done so well. Like I I literally sat here for the last half hour before we recorded, trying to think of something to nitpick. My friends, I have nothing. I have nothing. The acting is great. The score, uh, the score. I mean, <laughs> you get multiple songs from '78. Uh, Mike made a comment uh, privately that it sounded like "Days to Confuse" and. He's absolutely correct, especially when Slow Ride comes on right near the beginning of the film. Absolutely feels like they confused. But um, like I said, editing, score, cinematography, performances, there is nothing I can nitpick about this movie. Now, having said that, am I saying that this is like a masterpiece 10 out of 10? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that this movie is one of the most exceptional horror films I've ever seen. Because honestly, this movie doesn't do really anything exceptional. It's not like the performances are so great they blow your mind. It's not like the score is so awesome that you're singing in the aisles. It's not like, uh, it's just one of those things where the movie is so well-made where there is nothing that I can nitpick about it, be it story or filmmaking, acting, anything. There's like nothing I can nitpick. And that is such an that's such a rare thing for me. I mean, even looking back at some of my top 10 lists of previous years, I look at my number ones and I almost always have like a tiny little thing to nitpick about this movie. I literally have nothing now. Granted, some people are going to say it's slow. Some people are going to say there's not enough kills in it. Some people are going to say it's not even a horror film. That's fine. Again, um, everybody's opinion is valid. Um, But for my money, this hundred and three minutes flew by like when the movie ended, I was actually surprised. It felt like I was in the theater for an hour. I was so invested, so enthralled. The two kids, Finney and Gwen, um, uh, Mason, uh, Mason Thames plays Finney and Madeline McGraw plays Gwen, and they are absolutely exceptional. Madeline McGraw as Gwen is the MVP of this fucking movie. She, not just, and not just in the sense that what she does in the film uh, to help the plot, but just her performance. To, to watch an eight or nine year old girl s- swear like a sailor. It is endlessly entertaining to me. I know a lot of people are going to probably be turned off by it, but to me, it, it just every single time that she said one of the many, many, many expletives that she said in this film, I laughed out loud. I absolutely loved it. I love these characters. I love this brother and sister relationship. They, this relationship is so organic, so believable. Uh, you know, obviously brother and sisters, you know, siblings in general are going to be at odds. It's not always going to be, you know, puppy dogs and rainbows. But watching these two going through, you know, first the death of their mother, and then having to deal with the abuse from their alcoholic father, and then watching the support system, the way that they support each other in this film. There's one sweet moment in this movie that I can't talk about now. It's a little bit of a spoiler. But it's literally one of my favorite moments in the movie, a horror movie where my favorite moment in the movie is a tender moment between brother and sister. That's saying a lot, folks. So is this movie going to going to work for everyone? No, absolutely not. I guarantee I've already heard bad reviews for the movie, maybe not bad, but underwhelming. Like people are saying that it's underwhelming that they expected so much more from Scott Derrickson. And I think. I don't know. I think uh, because I'm, I'm always a fan of more grounded in reality horror, which is probably why I'm a fan of The Conjuring 3, whereas most people think it's the worst in the franchise. This movie just felt so beautiful. So. Like there was a loving touch in every single scene, there is not a throwaway line in this whole movie, there is not a throwaway scene in this whole movie. Mind you, this is all my opinion, folks. I'm not speaking in fact, of course, but. The other another thing I love about this movie, it is set in 1978. Most films that are set in 78, when they start out, you know, they show you like the idyllic family, you know, that the happy couples and the kids playing in the street. And this movie is the complete opposite. Everyone in this movie has a problem. Everyone in this movie is either dealing with bullies, is a bully, um, is an alcoholic, is dealing with an alcoholic parent is you know dealing with the with the loss of friends because obviously kids are going missing in this town i i just i can't say enough good things about this movie and if mike and don were to allow me i could probably speak for three hours on why i love this film so i'm just going to cut it off here is this going to be my number one film of the year Definitely not. 100% will not be my number one horror film of the year. Do I absolutely adore every aspect of this film? 100%, my friends. I love The Black Phone. I'll leave it at that
0: until spoilers. Okay.
2: Let's go to dawn. What did you think of The Black Phone?
0: <clears throat> so I'll be short. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what Venom said. Uh, It's technically excellent. It it looks amazing. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff here. Um, I I, I do side myself on those that say that this isn't much of a horror film because this isn't really the kind of film that I would really want. I I want more of the psychopath going out, killing people, not just keeping them captive like a weird Stockholm, like a Mm -hmm. weird Stockholm syndrome kind of a thing. Um, That's not really the kind of film I want. Yeah, I, I want him out killing people, you know, going through all the stalking and gathering victims and all that kind of stuff. Now, granted, Venom is right. Everything here is well done in regards to the, the family relationships, the, you know, dynamics between the two siblings. All of that is great stuff. I mean, I, I'm invested. I, I don't have an issue with the length. It's all great you know I, I i don't mind any of that i'm on board with uh what's going on here but uh, yeah I, I i want more of a stalker you know i want more of a slasher not just a mm-hmm. bystander who keeps people captive uh, that's not really my kind of a film i i don't have uh, a lot of detrimental factors weighing against it just because of that but uh, it, it is something that uh, holds me back from being as vociferous. Ugh, wrong word. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong word there, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I'm in agreement with him, but uh, it's just not the kind of film I would want, so that's what holds it back for me. But, yeah, hopefully I can get this get this done. But, uh, uh, yeah, other, th- other than that, I, I don't have much.
2: Okay. Um, so, for me, yeah, good, good reminder that uh, it's from the same director as Sinister because I kind of have a similar a uh, similar opinion of this as I do Sinister, which was great setup. Like, this setup had me. I um, was totally on board. Like I, I, The setup to me was so good that I was already on the verge of thinking, wow, this movie can be great. Like, it's headed towards greatness. And then just like Sinister for me, what we got the rest of the way out was good, not great. I, I think for me, this movie... There really are I agree with Venom. There really are no lows. I don't really have much to nitpick with this movie or critique in a negative way. I just don't think the highs hit as high for me as Venom. But I mean it, it it looks great. I think the child actors in this are great. In fact, I think that's really the strength of the movie is a lot of the scenes between the brother and sister. I actually was kind of, like, as we go through the movie, I was a little more interested in the sister character and the stuff involving her, which I can't get into details, obviously, until we get to spoilers. But I, it seems like they kind of kept it a little vague. I mean, we got a general idea of what was going on with her and why she was kind of able to help out with the situation. But I was kind of more interested in exploring more with that. I I do like the small town setting I I almost feel like they went for an aesthetic of like because it's 70 you said it's 78 right it's like uh if if Halloween took place in like a less affluent neighborhood because it kind of has the same look to it but when you look at the houses you know it's not like the big expensive looking houses it's a smaller town probably lower middle class or even a little bit below that as opposed to in Halloween where it looks like upper middle class suburbs um, I They definitely have a, a new mask for Spirit Halloween stores this year. Yeah, cool. I, yeah, I'd be shocked if uh, we didn't see those on the shelves and maybe even like a Hollywood Horror Nights uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> maze. Um, so they definitely got the marketing. But um, yeah, th- there's some aspects. I, it, like I said, it's really hard to say anything negative i don't really have much to say negative i think it was a good movie i i just fall short of great um i i feel kind of like once we kind of get to the crux of what's going on in the second act it stagnated a little bit for me Ooh, um, oh my god. I... yeah it it kind of slowed down a little bit for me and i started i don't want to say i lost interest in what was going on in the in the basement it was just kind of like okay once you kind of know what's going on it just uh, I'm like, what do you mean once
1: you know what's going on though at what point did you figure out what was going on that you checked out well
2: after,
0: in my
1: opinion and i'm not just talking about the kidnapping and where he's being kept i mean like the whole thing like everything that he's doing up until the finale like i well, didn't know what's happening until
2: the finale I
1: mean, if you no. figured it out before I did, then you're a fucking genius.
2: <laughs> no, not, okay, I don't mean, like, oh, okay. I, f- I figured out. Because well, that's what was, was enthralling. Hard. I, I kind like of got to dance around it because we're not in spoilers. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know the intention 100% of what was going on, I guess, if I can <laughs> put it that way, if that makes sense. But once you kind of get an idea of, like, Oh, so there's some allies. It's like, okay. And I can I can elaborate on that later. But again, like that's me trying to nitpick something, but still it's I, I think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's it's great. But I mean Okay.
1: Well, Mike's wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean I guess so, but yeah. I mean you're in the
1: minority. You're definitely in the minority from the reviews I'm reading. Like, you know, a lot of people are raving about this film.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that's I mean, hey listen. I understand place for me to be.
1: Ultimately, I understand why a lot of people maybe aren't going to be as high on this movie as I am. But if you start including some of the stuff that other horror fans want to see, it changes the context of this entire movie. If we would have actually seen "Blood and Gore" in every other scene, it completely changes the context of the movie, and I guarantee I would not like it as much. On top of the fact that Ethan Hawke probably wouldn't even do the movie if that was the case. If he had to play a guy that, like, actually, you know, did horrible things on screen, I'm not 100% sure he would have chosen to do it. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating, obviously. It's not like Ethan Hawke's never done a horror movie, but has he ever been the villain in a horror film is the question, so... And I guess most recently with the Marvel uh, TV series uh, Moon Knight, I know he was the villain there. But, you know, that's not really horror in any way, shape or form. So probably not the best comparison. But
0: <laughs> uh, Good question. I can check his IMDb. Yeah, I can't. Yeah,
2: I, I, I mean, a, a w- without spo—well, without spoiling anything, just to compare it to Sinister, because I think it is a good comparison of where kind of both movies were similar to me in the setup with sinister i loved how it started with like him discovering like those i guess on like snuff well i guess they were kind of snuff films well, on home the video i mean they film. were home
1: videos that turned into snuff films
2: <laughs> right like unintentional maybe yeah but exactly. i loved all that i loved that he was investigating it but to me once it turned into like okay there's a there's like this ghost and now we have ghost kids running around I was like uh, okay now it's kind of turned into just standard stuff I, it became less interesting to me as the movie um, went on and that's how I feel about this but it's it's like it doesn't make it not good it's just like I'm like okay it's, it's, it's fine what we end up getting and I would still call it a good movie for sure it's just
1: you just sound incredibly underwhelmed you're saying complimentary things but you're saying it in a tone where you're like yeah it was good which is <laughs> so disappointing to me. I'm so upset. Oh man. I was really hoping that other people would like this as much as I did, because I, I just and, and you were talking about the comparison to Sinister. I actually look at this movie as the complete opposite of Sinister in the sense of its pacing or where the story's going. I agree with you with Sinister, that the first act is awesome, and then it's just kind of, you know, once you actually get more bits of information, you know, it, it becomes less and less exciting. For me, for the for me, the black phone was the complete opposite. It starts incredibly slow. I mean, it starts at a baseball game for Christ's sake, and we don't see any kids actually getting taken until. Uh, that might be a spoiler, so I'll, I'll shut my mouth on that. But still, <laughs> the point is is that I was more and more enthralled as the movie was going. Um, you know, I, we talked uh, last night when we did the main show, and we were talking about drive Through. You remember how I was talking about how I loved Horny the Clown's voice, mm-hmm. how it sounded like it was coming through a speaker. We get that same effect here. Not a speaker, but a telephone, obviously. But, ah, goddammit, uh, we're going to have to wait for spoilers. But yeah, I just... For me, I got more and more into the movie until the absolute final shot when literally my heart broke. I just, ugh, I just literally, I almost cried in the theater. I was so, I thought that final shot was just so beautiful and poignant, Um, you know, it, it, with, with the contrast to that exact same scene earlier in the film, which, you know, I know I'm being cryptic, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to be spoiler free here. I, I Yeah, like I said, I'm the complete opposite of Mike. The movie started out slow for me, and slow, mind you, the word slow is not an insult. It's a good thing for a movie to start slow. You don't want it to start fast and then slow down halfway through. So for my money, the fact that it started out slow, we're learning all this character development about Dad, Gwen, Finney... Um, his Mexican friend, the bullies at school. It's like usually all these scenes are scenes that really bother me. Like, I hate bullying. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I hate bullying scenes in horror films. I've never been the biggest fan. This one, it didn't bother me. Even though Finney takes an absolute ass whooping from some bullies in one scene, something about it, just the way that Derrickson films his movies it didn't bother me i was never frustrated i never rolled my eyes once i will say there's one scene where um, you know alcoholic dad is kind of beating the hell out of his daughter for something that she can't control that bothered me but dad does kind of get a redemption moment at the end it, maybe not a redemption moment so much as a forgiving moment you know you, you might forgive dad maybe not wrong well, it,
2: it it makes sense with the
1: Oh, sure. With the context the story, of what's going yeah. on and what he's trying to get his daughter to stop doing. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, you know, I, I, I'll never agree with child abuse in any way, shape or form. Least of all, having a, you know, eight to ten year old girl bent over on the floor and you're whipping the hell out of her with your leather belt. That's that's excessive. That's just way too much, especially because it's something that the poor girl can't control. That's what bothers the shit out of me. Um, but anyway, like I said, this movie just got better and better and better for me until the end when we finally get—and maybe not that very, very end, like the final shot that I was just talking about—but when we get the final, the end of the finale, the the you know the final battle, if you will. Dude, my erection was gigantic. I was fucking. I just got more and more excited with this goddamn movie, and. I I don't know. It's hard for me to put into words why I love this movie because I've already said nothing about it is exceptional. And I stand by that phrase. Nothing about this film is exceptional. There's nothing about it that I would necessarily give a 10 out of 10 to. No singular aspect of this film that I would say, this is perfect. But the fact that Everything was done well above average. Nothing was frustrating. No characters. There were no caricatures of human beings in this movie. Everybody was organic, believable, relatable even in, in some way, shape, or form. I just I, – I can't say enough good things about this movie. And, yes. and like I said, I won't be surprised if it's not in my type 10 at the end of the year because – I am ultimately I am a, a horror guy who loves his blood and gore and everything else. I mean, you know, my number one movie for this year speaks to that. So I don't necessarily see this being in my top 10 at the end of the year, but it may be, you know, it could be a dark horse. Let's just say that. But um, I actually made a comment to Mike last night that I'm going to make here. And this is probably going to piss off a lot of people. And I really don't care to me. This is the best horror film I've seen in theaters this year. Yes, I liked it better than Hatching. Yes, I liked it better than X. Yes, I liked it better than Men. All three of those films are exceptional. And, may, and they, those three films actually have more of a chance of being in my top ten than The Black Phone does. But The Black Phone, the fact that there's... Nothing that I can nitpick, that there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing that I wish was improved, even. Like, sometimes we always wish, like, Don wishes there was more killing. And Mike, I don't know what he wishes, but he wishes there was more of something else that he wanted to see. It is such a rarity when I watch a 100-minute movie and walk out of the theater 100% satisfied. Like, that movie could not have been better in my eyes. And that's that's a personal opinion, of course. It could not have been any better. So, Guys, shut me up so we can get into the spoilers section. Well,
2: well, I will, I will say this. You know, for how opposite our tones sound, uh, what I've heard you say was nothing exceptional, above average. I wouldn't disagree with either of those uh, descriptions. It's just that
1: you want it more.
2: We (laughs) we have some of the same descriptive words, but you came out still thinking it was great, and I came out thinking it was good. But generally speaking, I would if if someone said write down some descriptive words, I would probably use the same one. So I don't think like we're well, we're no, we're we're, we're, we're far game. off as far as like I guess like a final grade on it. But in general, if someone read like a written review, we might have some of the same descriptions about exactly. it in like, there.
1: Objectively, it sounds like we're saying the same things, but subjectively they mean different things to the individual. Whereas exactly. you, you know, you were slightly underwhelmed. I was just completely surprised because guys, you have to realize that when I go into a film, uh, a big budget Hollywood horror film, I expect nothing. I expect nothing because 99% of the times that movie is going to disappoint me. A big budget Hollywood horror film, 99% of the time it's going to disappoint me. Nothing about this film disappointed me. That's why I'm raving about it because I'm just so goddamn shocked that Bloomhouse was able to put this thing together and I mean this is without a shadow of a doubt my favorite Blumhouse movie now. Um, and Blumhouse is a studio that I've never really been all that high on. I I feel like every time they make a good movie they make two pieces of shit right after it. And
0: you know
2: Wait, didn't Blumhouse do get out?
0: Was that Blum? I thought I that think was, I'm I was thinking about that now ever since you said it. I thought Peel's two films were Blumhouse
1: Well, if they are, then my statement still stands. I like the Black Phone better than both of them. Ooh, I'm being controversial now. Okay, (laughs) now
2: we're going to Yeah, I don't care. I (laughs) love... Different show for that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: this is going to be a different argument, but I don't care. This fucking movie... (laughs) Like I said, all of those movies, Us, Get Out, they all had little things that I nitpicked, little things that bothered me, little things that I would change. I would not change one millisecond of this movie. And I can't tell you the last time I would have been able to say that. That's why I'm so high on this film. Because it, to me, it is a flawless film that, like I said, may not be exceptional in any particular field. The fact that it's flawless, as in no mistakes, no frustrating plot points, no shitty characters, no bad line dialogue readings. I mean... Yeah, it just, I, I walked out of the theater just so exhilarated after watching this. And then the, the, the incredibly satisfying ending. I, I, I could cut horror movies into two camps, shitty endings and, and good endings. And this ending was so goddamn satisfying. No setup for a sequel. No jump scare after the credits. No, just give me the story. Give me the beginning, middle, and end, and I'm happy. And yes, I am happy. I walked out of that theater incredibly happy, and I'm probably going to go see it again this weekend. Um, it's rare that I'll go see a movie in the theater a second time if it's not for a podcast, but this, this is the exception to the rule. I absolutely adored this.
2: So, so, for the record, before we get into spoilers, let me say I wouldn't even say I'm, I was underwhelmed. I was whelmed, not underwhelmed.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> underwhelmed because ultimately I think you were expecting, be, because of the hype going into it. I think it's, it, it, you know, we all, we all suffer from it, you know, we we hear all these great things coming out of festivals and everything else, and, you know, I always use that, uh, that French movie Raw as an example, where all the hype coming out of the festivals, and then I went and saw it, and I was underwhelmed. I don't
2: right. even, I, honestly, I don't even know what kind of hype, because, like... I remember seeing a trailer back in whenever it was supposed to come out, and I didn't really hear much anything.
0: Oh, uh, 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 wait, 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 hold on. Sorry, 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 I was muted. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, Can we have this discussion at a later time here? Uh Uh-oh. No, I'm just saying, uh, is this really the conversation we want to have right now? Something, talking about a different movie altogether?
1: But in the context of this one, I
0: think... Fair enough, I'm just saying, if we're going to go down the rabbit hole of discussing our reactions to Raw... Oh, no, no, no I was, that was it. No, I, wasn't I, was gonna go, it. I, I wasn't
1: going any deeper. I, I just, I, all, all I wanted to say was that's the example that I always use. I bought into the hype, and it, it ended up being underwhelming for me. And that's why I don't watch trailers anymore, or read synopses, or, or watch reviews before I go see a movie, because I don't want to be underwhelmed anymore. And you well, know, so that, that was all I really wanted to bring up.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. I wasn't even referring to Raw. I was, t- I was talking about this one. I was just saying, yeah, because I saw the trailer when it was originally supposed to come out earlier in the year and i was like okay i mean i i saw the trailer and i wasn't like oh my god it's gonna be so good i was just like okay sure it's a,
1: it's a movie. <laughs> yeah and, and same thing with me i mean i never saw the trailer obviously but everybody was really excited about it and i try to curb my enthusiasm as i always do i try to go into the movie with no expectations and this being a big budget and i say big budget it did have a 16 million dollar uh, budget 16 one six um, which is pretty high for a horror film with no for real Blumhouse, effects. That's big. That's it. Yeah, exactly. For Blumhouse, that's a big budget. I mean, I would imagine a lot of it went to Ethan Hawke, but still, um, you know, with the lack of effects, you know, as far as like gore and kill effects and things like that. I mean,
2: it looks like um, a those lot of money. Funny... Those balloons were pretty good.
1: <laughs> Whoever painted those balloons. Great job. But no, I mean, yeah. For for a movie that look because it doesn't look like a sixteen million dollar movie to me it really doesn't it looks like five to ten at the most and ten would
0: even be high for me I would probably that's that's where I was uh, I was guessing or between eight to ten
1: yeah I would have guessed between five and like seven or eight somewhere in that range but yeah sixteen million is the budget and just so that you guys know it took in twenty three million on its opening weekend making it the number four film in america as we speak so i mean it it, it may not last up there we know how horror you know the horror numbers drop down in subsequent weeks after its release but i'm really hoping that word of mouth for this one keeps it at least over like 15 million for next week and um just oh wow it, I'm just now looking at it, it actually Oh no, no, I'm looking at the wrong movie Yeah, so, uh, 23.6 million Opening weekend, uh, that's just US uh, Worldwide numbers Haven't come in yet, so Add that, and you're talking about a pretty successful Blumhouse film, so Oh, and the well, fact that you're, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey
2: successful Oh, I mean, it is good is Because regardless of how much you like it Or not, or love it It's still not a uh, remake of a franchise or reimagining or reboot (laughs) it's still its own original thing so the more people that go to see it the more likely we'll get more
1: yeah there it is folks support your local horror Support your horror community, especially when it's in theaters, because that's really when it counts. I mean, you know, VOD sales and stuff like that are cool, too. But it's, it's opening weekend box office numbers that tend to dictate what movie studios will do moving forward. Are they going to continue to put out horror movies or are they going to slow down putting out horror? Things like that. So, yeah, definitely support horror whenever you can. Obviously, you know, finances Um, You know, I'm, I'm not going to force people to go to, you know, See horror movies if they're making minimum wage—not by any stretch, but still. If you can, if you can do it, support it. And that's the end of my rant.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that said, we we can uh, unlock the spoiler door to uh, walk right through it.
1: All right. Uh, this should be a fairly quick walkthrough, as Mike and Don have both already commented. There's not a whole lot that actually happens in the film, as far as like action or horror set pieces, anything like that. So this should be pretty quick. Uh, our movie opens up a, at a baseball game. Uh, we are introduced to Finney. Um, we see him pitching. He is pitching for the game. Um, he throws a couple of strikes at this very tall um, Asian-looking kid. Uh, well, Asian kid, excuse me. I think his name was, what, Bruce? Something like that. Bruce Yamada? If I right, Yeah, Bruce. There it is. Um, and uh, he throws two strikes. Looks like he's going to strike him out. But then on the third pitch, uh, the kid hits a home run. And, you know, he gives him a little bit of sass as he's rounding the bases, you know, a tip of the helmet, things like that. But then at the end of the game, he gives him a compliment telling him, hey, man, your arm is mint. You almost had me. And then we see Bruce kind of um, later that afternoon after he's changed out of his baseball gear, he's, you know, riding his bike around the neighborhood. And this is another reason that I love this movie is that there's only one snatching scene in the whole movie. What they end up doing with this opening scene is we see the kid, uh, we see Bruce riding his bike down the street. And then suddenly you hear the music tone, the tone of the music change. And then we see a van pull into the frame that says abracadabra on the side of the van. And then the screen, and then the, the scene fades to black. And then that's it. When we come back, Bruce is already he's missing. People are looking for him, blah, blah, blah. I like that. I, I, I don't know why I like it so much, but I really the fact that I don't have to watch somebody snatch multiple kids, you know, because that, that could get frustrating after a while. Um, so, yeah. So I really like that aspect of it. Again, Scott Derrickson. Awesome work. Um, after this, we're introduced to Gwen. <laughs> Gwen is Finney's sister, who, like I said, is a, a little firecracker, just swears like a sailor. But is wise well beyond her years. And the way that we're introduced to Gwen is um, a couple of uh, police detectives come to her school to speak to her. And they start speaking to her and they talk to her about things that she's been saying about the crimes, about what's, you know, the grabber is what everybody's calling this guy. Um, you know, aspects of the grabber that maybe they didn't release uh to the public the one in particular is the black balloons apparently she had a dream that whenever a kid is taken there's black balloons somewhere in there there's like black balloons, you know it, her dream visions are very cryptic like she doesn't get any exact information she has to do a little bit of sleuthing within her own mind to kind of figure out what something actually means So all she saw was black balloons, and apparently she must have said that to either Finney or some of her friends, and somehow that information got back to the police. The police then talked to Gwen because they did not release that information to the public. They didn't tell anyone in the public or newspapers that black balloons were found at multiple scenes where kids were missing. And... Obviously, you know, we're talking about a nine-year-old girl, so it's, <laughs> so it's not like the cops are literally accusing her of being the grabber, but she actually snaps at them, which is a scene that is so goddamn funny and instantly endears me to Gwen, where she's literally like, are you fucking idiots out of your fucking mind? Do you actually think I'm the fucking grabber? Mind you, this is a nine-year-old girl saying this. I I laughed out loud. I absolutely loved it, yeah. Um, so, obviously, the police are wondering why she has information that no one else has, and then it turns it turns out that she dreams these things. Um, she is dreaming things about the grabber um, and, and things about the kids that are being kidnapped, and apparently all of that, all the information is true. So, she's probably, you know, some kind of uh, clairvoyant, I guess. I mean, you know, they, they don't make a major deal about it, but she definitely, you know, has dreams. That have real world effect to them. When she ends up getting home, her father instantly just starts whipping the hell out of her because it turns out the police were actually at her house first looking for her. And then when she wasn't there, that's when they went to the school to try to find her. And, you know, the dad didn't understand why the cops were trying to speak to her daughter. And then he kind of figured out that it was the whole thing with the dreams. And during this scene, the scene where he's basically whipping the shit out of this nine-year-old girl, we find out that her mother also had these abilities, that her mother also dreamt and that she dreamt real-world things that, you know, there's no way she could have known. Apparently, that ability ended up driving mom mad and she ended up taking her own life, which is part of the reason. This is part of why I understand why dad's being the way he is, because he knows that the fact that his wife was having these prophetic dreams ended up causing her to go insane and kill herself. And he's just trying to get his daughter to not go down that same path. So there's a little tiny piece of me that understands Dad, And plus, don't forget, I already mentioned earlier, he's an alcoholic, unemployed. So, you know, he's not exactly a pillar of society by any stretch. Um, And then after the whipping, after after he absolutely whips um, Gwen, Finn tries to defend her. But obviously the dad's an alcoholic, doesn't, you know, doesn't um, accept any of Finn's explanations or excuses or anything. And he basically just tells Finn to get out of his face. At that point, Finn goes and sits next to Gwen in the living room, who is now sitting in front of the television crying. And when he sits next to her, there's no dialogue exchanged. She just tips her head over and puts it on Finn's shoulder. Just a a really sweet moment between brother and sister. You know, they both kind of collectively are not happy with their father right now. But you can still tell that there is love there. Um, even even with a, a mildly abusive dad. Yeah, there, there's still a little bit of uh, care and love there uh, between the entire family. So um, now it's uh, Finn. Um, oh, right. Well, I skipped the whole Mexican thing. The, 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 Finn ends up having a friend who's like a, a Mexican kid who's kind of a tough kid, kind of streetwise Um, tough kid that um, basically defends Finn. Whenever Finn gets bullied by people, he will defend them. And we actually do get a scene where this Mexican kid beats the hell out of a bully that, like I said, during the non-spoiler section, it's the bloodiest scene in the whole movie. That's literally the majority of the blood that you're getting in this film. Um, Anyway, the Mexican kid ends up getting taken as well. And basically, Finn and Gwen both collectively start kind of walking around their hometown, which is, you know, maybe not the greatest decision to make. But these are at the same time, they're kids. They think they're trying to do good, but you know, uh, when when you've got a, a a string of kidnappings happening in your town, the last thing you want to do is go walking around your town, you know, by yourself as a kid. But they decide to do it. And, of course, Finn does end up meeting the Grabber. Um, The Grabber, played by Ethan Hawke, ends up walking in front of Finn on the sidewalk and dropping a bag of groceries and, you know, acting like he dropped a bag of groceries. And um, basically, uh, Finn offers to help. And then as Finn is uh, helping the guy out, uh, the guy stands up, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke stands up and says, I'm actually a magician. Do you want to see a magic trick? And Finn is like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll check out a magic trick. And we see the guy, we see the grabber pull out a can, some aerosol can, and start shaking it, almost like a spray can, uh, a a spray paint type can. Uh, But then Finn looks into the back window of the van and says, "Are those black balloons?" And literally, before Finn can even get an answer, uh, the grabber takes them and starts spraying the stuff into his face. Apparently, it's probably, you know, it's probably the same thing that um. What do you call it? That uh, do, you, do you remember the spray in um, what the hell split? OK, uh, M. Night Shyamalan split. Do you remember the opening scene where he uh, kidnaps the three girls? He sprays something in the dad's face and the girl's faces, for that matter, to knock them out. So it's probably basically the same thing some kind of knockout spray. Anyway, at this point, Finn wakes up and he is now in a basement, uh, doesn't know where, but he knows he's in a basement. Um, there is a window, so you know he can partially look outside. Unfortunately, the window is at a high elevation, so he can't and he's a little kid, so he can't actually get up there um the bed uh <laughs> the bed very intelligently is bolted to the floor, so Finn can't move it around to try to climb out or anything uh The grabber definitely has done his homework because uh this little cellar you know prison that he's put together for himself is actually pretty good, you know it's a good size. It's got everything that a prisoner would need uh, to be at least moderately comfortable, but not have enough items in there that he could potentially uh, overpower and attack uh, the grabber. So on his first night in the cellar, well, actually, yeah, on the first night in the cellar when he's first introduced to the grabber, mind you, folks, um, we've only seen Ethan Hawke's face once throughout this film. That's early on when he first introduces himself to Um, To Finn as a as a magician, excuse me. And he's got kind of a pale face. It's very white. I'm not sure if he's actually wearing some kind of white cake makeup because he looks like almost dangerously pale in the scene. But, um, you know, like I said, when Finn wakes up, uh, the grabber lets him know you can make as much noise as you want. This room is airtight. I made sure that no one is ever going to hear you, blah, blah, blah. And um, he tries to comfort Finn. He tries to tell Finn, oh, I'm not going to hurt you. In fact, I might let you go soon. You know, the obvious, the, the, the exact thing you would expect a kidnapper, a murderous kidnapper to say to his victim. So that evening, uh, when Finn is alone, uh, there is a black phone in the cellar. Um, earlier, the grabber tells him that it doesn't work, that it hasn't worked since he was a kid. And at one point, Finn grabs the The cord coming out of the phone and sees that it's been cut and he puts the phone up to his ear, doesn't hear a dial tone. So, yeah, it does seem like the phone is broken. That evening, when Finn is by himself, the phone rings like mysteriously just rings and he picks it up. And there's no answer. There's there's nobody on the phone. There's nobody there. He hangs it back up and then it rings again. Later on, he picks it up. And this time we hear a voice. And we hear a very familiar voice. We hear a little kid telling him, your arm is mint. You almost had me. Yes, folks, it is the spirit of Bruce, the Asian kid, talking to him on the phone. Now, on the first night, that's all we see. All we see is, you know, um, he's talking to Bruce on the phone. Bruce, you know, talks to him, gives him a little bit of information, potentially, that might be able to help him out. And then the conversation ends, and that's that. We, we get some more interaction between the grabber and Finn. Uh, we find out that the grabber has a brother named Max who is actually living with him, but has no idea what the what Ethan Hawke is doing. He has no idea that his brother has been kidnapping and killing people in his own house. It, it, the house belongs to Ethan Hawke. Max, his brother, is staying with him uh, for the time being. So, um, so on the second night, Finn once again gets a phone call on the, the black phone, and this time the call is from another kid, um, not Bruce, but par- it, it comes from a kid who was taken before the start of the film. So it's one of the kids that had already been taken when the film had started, and it turns out that he's a paperboy. And we actually start to get, like, flashback scenes, which this is when the movie definitely starts to feel like a Scott Derrickson movie because it almost feels like sinister with the, you know, with the home videos that we watch. With this one, the uh, the flashback scenes are kind of shot like that, like their old home video. Mind you, it's 1978, so it makes sense. And we see the kid, you know, he's a paper boy, and we see that the grabber grabbed him while he was um, preparing to do his paper route for the day while he was getting all the papers together. And then when the flashback ends, we get the first jump scare of the movie where we see the actual spirit of the paper boy standing behind Finn and actually speaking to him. We see his mouth moving, but Finn only hears him through the phone. Finn doesn't see him either, obviously. Um, So, I think that was a great effect. I really like this effect where we see the spirit talking to Finn, but they're talking to him through a telephone, not speaking to him directly, um, which, you know, those of you who stare, study the paranormal would know it would be almost impossible for a spirit to just outright communicate with the living, you know, especially right after they died. Um, it's, you know. um, So then. You know, the movie continues. We get more scenes like that Um, the next night, which at this point, I guess, is the third night. He gets a phone call from his Mexican friend. Um, I forgot his name. What the hell was the Mexican kid's name? Uh, I totally forgot. Was it Robin? Yeah, Robin. Uh, Yeah, a Mexican kid named Robin. Go figure. I'm not going to question it. Um, The third night, he gets a phone call from Robin, who, like I said, was his best friend and his defender in life. And Robin is basically telling him, dude, you got to stand up for yourself. Remember, you know, when I told you, remember in the bathroom when I told you you needed to start standing up for yourself? This is it. This is when you must start standing up for yourself or you're going to die. And basically the movie continues like that, where Finn gets a different phone call every night from a different victim of the grabber. At this point, the grabber has five victims. Finn would be the sixth. And uh, basically all five victims at different points throughout the film will call Finn and actually give him suggestions on how to get out of it. Like one of the first suggestions he gets is um, somebody tells him that they hit a rope or a cord um, underneath a floorboard in in the room and to try to use it to get through the window, which has a, you know, kind of like a grating over it, uh, like a hard steel grating. So basically Finn tries to, you know, get the grating. He tries to wrap the rope around the grating, eventually figures out uh, he he ends up using a roll of carpet that's down there for some reason, he uses that to get the rope up and around the um, the grating. Unfortunately, you know, the grating, he, he tries to climb up to it, but he can't get the grating off until finally it just comes off completely. And of course, because the rope is attached to the grating Finn falls down too and now Finn is stuck down on the floor and he can't get back up to the window because there's nothing to attach the cord to so what's funny is that every time he gets some piece of advice from somebody on the phone perceivably it fails uh first there was the thing with the cord then another kid calls him up and tells him hey if you punch a hole in this part of the wall, you'll come out on the other side of his freezer, and you should be able to get out of the freezer and then walk out of the, the basement entrance of the of the house. That ends up failing because, the as it turns out, the refrigerator is locked. So Finn is able to break through the wall. He's able to get the back plate off the refrigerator, get into the freezer. But unfortunately, the doors are locked, so he can't get in. And that's kind of how the movie goes along, is every time he gets a new phone call giving him a piece of advice, it fails. One one of the phone calls tells him, uh, try to dig your way out. You should be able to... There's a loose piece of um, like um floor tile at this part of the floor. If you peel off the floor tile, you should be able to dig your way out. Now, obviously, this kid doesn't have any tools or anything. He's literally digging with his hands. So, obviously... After a few hours of this, he ends up just giving up. So it seems, perceivably, that it is another failed plan, another, you know, another ghost trying to assist him, and it just doesn't work out. Um, At one point in the film, we start getting towards the end of the film now, uh, the brother who, uh, the brother Max, uh, the grabber's brother, he kind of fancies himself an amateur detective, and and he's a cokehead too, which is kind of funny. And he actually, at one point, he has one of those eureka moments, one of those aha moments where he's looking at his map with all the string, the connective string. And he starts to realize, wait a minute, it would make sense for the grabber to live right here, considering where the kids were taken, the fact that you know no one's, no one's found the bodies, no one ever sees the van other than the kids that get taken. And then he just starts to put two and two together and realizes, wait a minute what's going on in the basement of this house? And exactly what you expect. He goes down to the basement. He finds Finny down there. And Finn obviously is asking for help, but the guy doesn't want to let Finn out right away. He, he, he's so enamored with the fact that he figured out that his brother was the grabber that he wants to explain it to Finn. He literally wants to take the time to explain how he figured out that his brother was the grabber. And just as he starts to um explain he takes an axe to the head so actually i guess there is some on there is one on one more on, one more on screen death than i thought was I, I i'd forgotten about max and it's actually pretty impressive because th- we actually see the axe enter his head and it's pretty damn juicy it's it's a damn nice little kill we don't unfortunately we don't get to see the aftermath after he pulls the axe out that's always that's always the wound i want to see after the axe is pulled out but nope um so Max is now dead. And now what's happening is Finn is taking the last piece of advice that Robin gave him on the phone, which was to take the handset of the phone and fill it with dirt, basically the dirt that he had been digging out of the hole to put it in the handset, unscrew the caps on the handset. This is an old phone, mind you. This isn't a cell phone for you kids out there. Um, this is this is an old rotary phone um, that's in the basement uh, with, you know, with the old Handset and the long cord, blah blah blah. Um, so he's able to fill the handset with dirt and you know, fills it up so that it's pretty heavy, it's almost a weapon. And we actually get to see this cool scene with the ghost of Robin actually helping him train, if you will, quote unquote, train for his final battle with the grabber. Because all the kids, obviously, all these kids are trying to help Finny out. Because, you know, obviously they want revenge on the grabber. They want to see Finney survive. They want to see the grabber die or at least get caught, blah, blah, blah. And, and as an audience member, I was thoroughly cheering for Finn. I I would have been so disappointed if Finn would have um, actually died in this film. But luckily, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, so basically at this point now... Uh, The grabber, after killing his brother, you know, the grabber is upset. He comes down with his dog, his giant fucking mastiff, like a bull mastiff, one of those big ass bear of a dog. And he and he ties him up right at the door um, so that that Finn can't get away. Um, Finn, of course, is holding the telephone handset, the weighted handset in his hand. And the grabber said, you know, the grabber is pissed off that he had to kill his brother. As any murderous douchebag in a movie, he blames Finn for killing his brother. Look what you made me do. You made me kill my brother, who was 100 percent innocent, which we, and, and without even noticing the irony of the fact that he's killing people that are 100 percent innocent as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically, our battle ensues. Um, the grabber goes in with the axe. Uh, Finn is able to dodge the axe attack. And the uh, be, because the grabber, when he attacks Finn with the axe, the axe misses Finn and hits the concrete, um, it actually falls out of the grabber's hand. At this point... This is where I think the movie is fucking genius, because this is when we find out that all the phone calls that Finn was getting, those were not individual attempts for him to get out. It was a collective. They were giving him all the clues that he needed to get out of. Even though no one individual one got him out of the basement, collectively they all did. So what ends up happening is he takes Robin's advice. He's able to, you know, punch him a couple of times with the handset. He finally gets the grabber to chase him down to the side of the, of the room, the room that he's being kept in. And the, the grabber falls into the hole that Finney dug earlier in the film. And at the bottom of that hole is the grating from the window that Finn had pulled down. And when the grabber falls into the hole, he breaks his fucking ankle So now the grabber is in this hole, waist deep, more than waist deep, actually, with a broken ankle. So he's having trouble getting out. Finn basically just starts pummeling him with the phone, just smashing his face with the phone. And finally, he gets the mask off his face. And this is the first time since the beginning of the film that we actually see him without his mask. And he reacts violently. Like he 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 almost reacts like, you know, like he's naked, like you can't see my face, you know, like he starts covering his face with his hands and he starts actually crying. He actually starts crying like, you know, don't look at me, blah, blah, blah. Finn continues to punch him and punch him. And then finally, the grabber is able to get the upper hand. He's able to kind of duck one of Finn's punches. He's able to grab him. And then I don't I don't remember how. The actual move that Finn uses to get out of that situation, but somehow he's able to get out. He punches the grabber a few more times, then he uses the phone cable, the cable that is still attached to the handset, and he starts choking the grabber, starts choking him out. And he's smart too, because he knows that a little kid can't choke out an adult human. So he does that thing where he jumps behind him and actually pulls the cord over his own shoulder so that he's, he's almost hanging the grabber, if you will. And then literally as he's choking the grabber, literally right at the point of death, he hands the handset over to the grabber and says, it's for you. And then we hear the voices of all the kids saying, like Robin says, fuck you, cabron. And every, all the kids are like, Finn's going to get you. And then the last thing that anyone says is that kid's arm is mint. And right after Bruce says that last thing, we hear the snap of the grabber's neck and Finn is able to fucking get out of the grabber's cellar. And what's funny is that earlier in the film, um, we talked about the dreams that Gwen was having. Gwen actually had a dream of Finn being kept in a house that had the number 7741 in front of the building. She didn't know which street it was, and, you know, she wasn't familiar, so that's why she was riding her bike all through her town, trying to find a house with 7741 as its number. She finally finds the house. It matches all the different aspects of her dream, the creepy-looking tree that's in the front yard, the dilapidated, you know, chain-link fence uh, around it. Like, it, it all matches her dream, she calls the police, the two detectives that interviewed her earlier, lets them know that she thinks she found the grabber's house. They then force their way into the house because no one's home at this moment, or at least that's what we think. They get into the house and there's nothing in it, no furniture, no nothing. The house is literally empty. And we know the grabber has furniture because we've seen his kitchen. He has like a table and chair in there, a, a refrigerator, a stove, you know, um, So then we start to think, oh shit, Gwen was wrong. Her dream was wrong. What ends up happening is after Finn dispatches of the grabber, he ends up walking out the front door of the grabber's house and there's all the police and his sister across the street. Apparently what what happened was the grabber bought two houses in the same neighborhood directly across the street from each other. And what he would do is he would kill his victims in one house and then bury them in the crawl space of the other house. And the house that he was burying them at was the empty one. So no one ever had, you know, cops would never have any reason to search that basement for bodies because they figure no one lives in that house. So it's, you know, it was almost an ingenious plan by the grabber. Um, And like I said, so Finn walks out of the house. He sees all the cops across the street. Um, His sister comes running towards them. They embrace blah, blah, blah. And then the movie ends with, uh, you guys remember um, the shot that I was talking about when Gwen puts her head on Finn's shoulder after she has her ass whipped by her father? The movie ends with Finn putting his head on Gwen's shoulder after she helped the police find him, kind of. I mean, obviously, Finn kind of took care of it himself with the help of the spirits, but at least they were across the street. I mean, they were close. And I I just, literally, my heart melted. Just Because to think about the scene earlier where Gwen put her head on his shoulder, and it was a sweet moment, and then we get to see the opposite. We get to see the fact that Gwen, the younger sister, actually did come through for her brother in his terrible situation of being kidnapped and almost murdered, and... I just something about that scene just struck me so hard. And I'm not a parent either, guys. I am not a parent. I do not have kids. I never will have kids. And something about that scene really struck me. It really pulled at my heartstrings. And it was just a perfect cherry on the Sunday that is the black phone on my Sunday that is the black phone. I it's just a perfect way to end this movie, in my opinion. And there it is, folks. The Black Phone, a a near flawless film that's not going to make all horror fans happy. It's such a. It, it saddens me to say it, but uh, it, it's true. It, it is a near flawless film that not every horror fan is going to gravitate towards. So, there you go. It's definitely an acquired taste. I I think if you like, you know, a lot of well, if you like Derrickson's movies, there's no reason that you wouldn't like this one. If you like Exorcism, Emily Rose, and um. Sinister, yeah, there's no reason you shouldn't like this one. Um, and really, the great, another cool thing about this movie is that sometimes Scott Derrickson movies, uh, like he's been accused of having maybe too many jump scares. This movie really only has one jump scare, and it is fucking effective. I jumped out of my seat. I don't care. I'll admit it. The one jump scare in this movie with the floating ghost, it got me. It fucking got me. I jumped out of my seat. I don't care. I'll happily admit it. So for a movie to only have one jump scare and it's endlessly effective, again, that is, now granted, Sinister is filled with effective jump scares. That's kind of what the formula for Sinister was. But this one, he's not relying on jump scares, but the one that we get is awesome. So, yeah, all around, I absolutely love this movie. I can't say enough good things about it. This will 100% be a purchase when it comes out on physical media, no doubt about it. Well, guys, I think I've said everything I possibly can about this. Somebody chime in here so that it doesn't sound like a solo cast.
2: <laughs> um, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it was, yeah there's... I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't love it, but I did like it. Above average for sure. Um, I don't know what else to say after all that. You pretty much covered it all.
0: Yeah, uh, and I definitely I didn't, didn't go
1: over die. every single scene either, folks. So there's still more to see in the film. If what I described sounds interesting, there's more scenes that I didn't talk about that are just
0: as good. Yeah, I was gonna mention that, but I mean, I, I'm kind of like with Mike there. There's not much else to go over.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I this is a movie that I'm never, I, I will never get upset. If someone says they found this movie boring or if they say it's not even a horror film, it's a thriller. It's like I, I, I will never get upset with somebody with that opinion for this particular film because it's true. It kind of is more of a thriller. It doesn't even really turn into a horror film until the brother gets killed, until Max takes an axe to the head. Does this, you know, until then, it's not really much of a horror film. It's more of just a kidnapping thriller. And, and that's fine. But for whatever reason, and folks color me just as surprised as anybody else that I fucking love this movie this much, because honestly on paper, there's no reason for me to like a movie that's not exceptional in any particular aspect like this movie to like it this much to sit here and rave about it and try to get everyone in earshot to go out and watch this film. Obviously, if you're still with us and you haven't watched the film, I can't imagine you're going to go out and see it now that you've heard the whole walkthrough. But um, I still would implore, go out and support these kind of films. Yes, it's Blumhouse. You know, they're kind of the big horror company right now. They're not really a true indie anymore, but it's still theatrical horror. And it's, you know, it's better than most theatrical horror, you know. Well, it's better than a lot of the theatrical horror that we get, at least half of it. So I say support it. And. If anybody out there vehemently disagrees with me, like they just found this movie utterly dull, boring, lifeless, whatever adjective you want to go with, absolutely hit me up. Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you can. Find me, hit me up, and tell me why you hated this movie because I have a conversation to have with you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't... I really don't see how this movie could be hated. Like, there's there's nothing
0: yeah i can i can see venom's point about people just finding it rather average and nothing really like doing anything like really spectacular Mm -hmm. i can see that like that kind of an argument where it's just you know yeah it's a fun time i just i i don't see like why it's all like the be all end all film of the year to watch like i i can see like that kind of a crowd maybe having an issue with it but I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, my only real thing is that it's not really the kind of film I want, but I, I don't have an issue with what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, my only issues with it are personal preference rather than actual on-screen content. Like, what we got on screen is exactly, it, it's great. I, I really enjoyed it, but it's just, if push comes to shove, this wouldn't have been the kind of film I wouldn't I would have watched if it wasn't for the show. Because it's not mm-hmm. much of what I would want to watch for my own personal enjoyment. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And one of the comparisons that I actually meant to make earlier in the, in the episode, um, if, if you're wondering what this movie kind of reminds me of, if you guys remember 2018, um, The Clove Hitch Killer, if you guys saw The Clove Hitch Killer, that was another movie about a serial killer that's a fairly bloodless movie, very little, if any, on-screen death but just another really compelling story filled with awesome performances and a very satisfying ending. So, And I I, I also loved Hitch. so it makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I meant to get to that one, but I ran out of time doing my prep work for it, so I never got to see it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much I think you would have liked it as much as this one, because it's it's pretty much a lot of the same thing. Just, you know, not not a lot of uh, scenes. Well, in in this case, it was a guy who was breaking into people's houses. So no kidnapping. But we only see one scene of the perpetrator actually um, partaking in their craft, much like in this film where we only see the one kid getting grabbed, which. And it it totally makes sense that i love this movie considering how much i love the clove hitch killer too so yeah if you enjoyed the clove hitch killer i would strongly recommend the black phone i recommend the black phone regardless honestly but I, that at least gives you an idea of what you're looking at tonally i think the clove hitch killer was even set like either in the 70s or 80s too wasn't it like it wasn't set in modern times so
0: yeah, it very- it was a throwback for sure i remember the yeah I, I remember the plot the I remember the press material, but I don't remember much about it because I never saw it
1: yeah like I said if you're into psychological thrillers that aren't incredibly violent, I would recommend both of these films but if you're you know if you're more into the blood and guts and boobs and everything else and the you know then yeah the black phone's just not for you um, I would still recommend checking it out because it's still one of the better theatrical horror films we've gotten this year. I listed off a few earlier that are really good as well, but yeah, this one, you know, for me anyway, like I said, one of my favorite theatrical experiences of the year. And that's only because I couldn't watch the sadness in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike, I think I'm done, man.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on the black phone um but before we get out of here let's find out what's coming up with everybody or from everybody so venom what do you got
1: uh pretty much the same stuff i had last time creature comforts episode 10 i'm finishing up the edit on that now should be available sometime this week hopefully it'll definitely be out before the end of june so look out for that on the no more room in hell feed yesterday we recorded episode 46 finally the Much delayed episode that I think has been delayed on three occasions, once by each of us on the show. We each had a different, uh, you know, uh, reason to postpone the show. So finally, about a month later, episode 46 is finally recorded. We looked at 2000's cut and we looked at 2007's drive-through. I mentioned Horny the Clown earlier. Um, So, yeah. And I think that's it. I mean, my guest spot on the Dark Parade is still I think it's still his current episode. It might not be the newest one anymore, but it's still out there. Uh, Bo and I review my favorite universal horror film, The Bride of Frankenstein, and I think that's it for me, Mike.
2: Well, that sounds awesome. I'm going to be listening to that for sure. Um, All right, Don, how about you?
0: Yeah, I'm back uh, doing a uh, Horror Countdown um, show. Uh, We have a new episode out where I looked at um, our favorite Universal franchise sequels. So uh, we didn't do, you know, Mummy or Dracula, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, all that kind of stuff. We looked at all the uh, sequels and um, I had a a friend of mine, uh, Derek M. Cook, join me for that one. Which was a uh, lot of fun. Um, and I, I, I do have a uh, guest spot um, on a show I I promote called uh, fraternity where we looked at uh, the classic deathgasm. And uh, unfortunately, I can't uh, say much about it because my throat is still a little raw. But yeah, I, I know it's uh, lowercase, but uh, forgive me for that one. But um <laughs> yeah that uh should be out sooner rather than later um because it's part of a uh planned double weekend release where um i joined their show and then they joined my show so that'll be next week's episode so <coughs> sorry i really us. hope
1: i really hope the bride of frankenstein was
0: brought up in that episode I'm, i'll be disappointed if it wasn't i'll be listening tonight <laughs> cool but uh, yeah uh, like I said other than the uh, cross promotion double appearance thing uh, that's all I got because Venom already said creature comforts. so yeah that's uh, all on me
2: cool Um, yeah as far as I go I just got this and no more room in hell to to finish and put out and fresh cuts next week is, I don't know, is there a theatrical release, Venom, do you know of? Um, no, because it's
1: 4th of July weekend, so there's no horror release this weekend.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think we're back on streaming. Uh, Shudder's got two. Um, last week they did Revealer, and I think this week they're doing a film called Moloch. I know next to nothing about either one. Mohawk? From last Molo- year? Moloch.
1: Oh, Moloch, excuse me, thank you.
0: Yeah, sorry, voice is going out. I don't know. Yeah, I I know next to nothing. Um, Revealer was last week, and then Moloch is this week's.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll look into those to see which one. Yeah, one's um, interesting. I, I I haven't there's, really heard much about either.
0: That's what I'm saying. I I know next to nothing about either of them. Um, I haven't I haven't heard anyone review any of the film, eat to review either of the films, and uh, I think there's probably maybe. One or two other things coming out. That's kind of slipping my mind, but I know those for a fact because I mean I work with Shutter, so I know that those are the upcoming releases.
2: Cool. All right. Well, we'll pick something and uh, talk about it next Monday. So that's gonna (laughs) wrap it up then. Tuesday.
0: Monday's the fourth, Mike. Yeah. Oh. Monday's the fourth. Yeah. Monday's the fourth, so we got to do a Tuesday.
2: All right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'll I be out scaring dogs floor. in the
0: neighborhood <laughs> with fireworks,
1: so I'll be busy. All right, yeah, well, that's fine. Next Tuesday.
2: Perfectly fine. We'll, or uh, Sunday. Or yeah. Sunday.
1: Sunday's open, too. I'm good, I'm good on Sunday.
0: Yeah, either one.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, with that said, we're going to get out of here. We will see you all in a week with another episode of Fresh Cuts. But until then, let's say bye to the listeners.
1: Later. Answer the black phone.
2: <laughs> Please